Wretched hive of scum and villainy. I love how disappointed you are and how nerdy Speaking I am. Speaking of lore, there's your fucking lore. Good. You guessed it. A murderer. People wanted to cancel the show because of a that. A three-hour show. Cul-de-sac. Nugfest. It's gotta be. Shadow, what are you doing? I don't want some stupid thing about midi clothes. Gross, alive, and completely inappropriate. Broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with my super friends, Yar Higo. Yo. And C-Lab Forever. What's up? Quick pause before we start the show, folks. We want to remind everybody to join us in the conversation on social media. You can find us at all social medias using the handle at EBD Podcast. Join in on the conversation. We spend a lot of time talking on Instagram, Facebook as well, and we'd love to hear more from all of you. So please join us. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, folks. This week, we are revisiting the wonderful world of the Mandalorian. You're dead. Yep. I died right there, and we're going to die a million Star Wars deaths in this episode because we're talking about a Star Wars property. And that's okay because this was delightful. Uh, We needed this show to get us past the trauma that we went through doing Next of Kin, which was significant. And uh, now here we are. Let's kick it off. Kev, you're like the uh, rebel trooper that got stuck in the hallway with Darth Vader at the end of... (laughs) Rogue One. At the end of... Rogue One. Yeah, at the end of Rogue One. <laughs> that, that scene was worth the whole movie. I like Rogue One, but my God, that was just the best. Yeah, that was totally you in the intro, dude. A legendary Star Wars death. You handed us the Death Star plans, and we watched fucking Darth Vader waste you up from the other side of the Pretty door. Pretty much. Just absolutely massacre you. <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. Aha! Aha! Oh, man. Uh, he had a... He had a super great pun in Rogue One that was great. I was not really expecting it. Who did? Vader, man, when he goes, or something to the effect of, uh, be sure you don't choke on your ambitions. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, really? Okay. That's a little Vader joke. (laughs) It's just a little Vader pun. As I'm alone on this lava planet, I don't have many people to joke around with. And I go down to the bar, there's nobody there, and people are afraid I will force choke them. Does he have have a bar in his lava castle? (laughs) Definitely, dude. Uh Of course. It's just like a bunch of really long straws (laughs) that he drinks out of. Yeah, and when pe- when somebody does come into the bar, they he goes, "Aha!" <laughs> I kind of picture it being like a he's, he's got an alternate version of his helmet that has uh, beer holders in it. <laughs> you Ooh, mean stadium buddies? Nice. <laughs> I kind of imagine. Um, I kind of imagine like a mid-century modern fifties era decor, like stupid shitty bar with all the liquors and like he has like a little bowling alley there too you know it's just like it's it's what i do to unwind (laughs) (laughs) totally a shuffleboard table with sawdust (laughs) over the corner and it's like a full a full vader outfit with like those clown shoe bowling shoes and stuff oh my god that'd be amazing oh yeah yeah and the and the um kev continuity stadium buddy (laughs) yeah yeah actual stadium buddy (laughs) (laughs) yep yep that's that's the vader that we know and love times yeah, we've never done like a we've never done like a, a 
a jam on anything Star Wars like this before. I'm I'm very happy right now. I think uh, some, you should hang out with the Shrike sometimes. Ooh, man, there you go. Dude, Vader and the Shrike would be bros. Dude, they would be bros. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just trying to wrap my mind around that. <laughs> I am too. I was like, let's take a five-minute cricket sound silent break and just meditate on that. Shrike, I know you're enthusiastic about your exercise regime, but could we please change the subject? <laughs> he asked him to do an interval training. <laughs> I don't know if you're, uh, I, I noticed you have trouble breathing. Um, are you a mouth breather or a nose breather? Because I just listened to a fabulous Joe Rogan podcast about that. You ought to check that out. <laughs> Well, I think I think our delightful mood here is because of how delightful it was to watch this show. Oh, God. I was, I re- I'm realizing more yeah. and more that the things that I'm enjoying this year because of how much of a sh- – I don't know if you guys know this or not. I don't, uh, what was it, what's, what's yours, Benny? I don't know if uh, if you guys know this. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. If, uh, fuck. <laughs> Whoa, that's a death. <laughs> what the hell is that? I threw you off. That is a death. Not many people know this. Oh, yeah, that's what it is, yeah. That's what it is. You, you uh, a lot of people don't know this, but... Not many people know this, but uh, 2020's been a shit show. <laughs> 2020's been such a shit show that, like, I've just been enjoying lighter fare, man. Like, I just can't fucking handle any more <laughs> just, like, dark bullshit. And so between this and, like, Ted Lasso and a few other things, like, it's just I'm finding that I'm really connecting with... Something that's fun to watch, and I had a lot of fun watching this, man. I'll tell you what. Same, same. Definitely. 100%. What were, what were you guys high level on this? We've commented in the past how, you know, when you get to, like, season two or the second film in the series, you know, it's not – you don't quite get that high because it's not new, it's not fresh, you know, that sort of thing. And with this, uh, I was – super pumped to watch it i usually have no problem waiting for like all four all Mm. eight whatever the season is to come out and then i'll just sit and binge it i could not wait this time so i watched i was like uh you know shaking like uh chris rock in um, new jack city (laughs) (laughs) with the glass with the glass crack pipe man i was like i i I couldn't put the remote down and i i watched the first one and then i was like okay i'll wait for the rest couldn't do it watch the second one ditto the third ditto the fourth and then i watched the whole thing again last night when we were arguing on whatsapp (laughs) (laughs) uh it it was so good and then I, i finished it this morning again i was just delighted I, I could watch the whole first four episodes yet again they were so good and so not only did i have even more of an excited feeling going into this season i i thought it was even better man i mean the first season's fantastic i just rewatched the first season like a month ago i think i told chad that and i thought these first four episodes were so good just it's expounding on the lore we're just getting little more little bits more of the story and it was exciting, and I thought it was even better than the first season. You know, a little bit more established. Everybody's a little bit settled into their characters and so forth. A lot of repeat people coming back, repeat characters. So, um, yeah, I thought it was just absolutely wonderful. Not only that, but more importantly, this is now restoring my faith in good Star Wars. Mm. And that 
all has to do with John Favreau, and we can talk about that at length a little bit later. Sweet. I have spoken. Hey. Excellent. Yeah, I'm more than whelmed this time around. Nice. Uh, I was really excited. I don't know if I'm overwhelmed, but I, I was. I'm, I'm very excited about this season. I was very excited about it before it even started. There's a lot of stuff going on. The overarching arcing story with Moff Gideon is very intriguing. The fact that they're pulling in uh, characters from Clone Wars and Rebels is really awesome. Um, we get to see some old friends. The episodes are really fun and varied and interesting so far. Yeah, uh, I'm loving it. Totally. Nice. Short and sweet. I like it. I feel very much the same. The only um, the only kind of other high-level thought that I had before re-listening to our previous um, two episodes on this was just how much it reminded me of Lone Wolf and Cub, which we've talked about in other episodes as well. And one of the things that we got hung up on in the first part of season one was Kev's favorite episode, uh, the Blue Shrimp... Sorghum. Sorghum. Forest Planet episode, <laughs> where... Uh, one of the, the Mandalorian Star Trek insurrection. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Zardoz. The um you mentioned it as a monster of the week style episode, and then we kind of riffed on that with like saying it was like an episode out of A Team and and that very much follows the format of Lone Wolf where it's, you know, mm. assassination of the week and then there's like sprinklings of major plot driving episodes, which are, you know, rarer. So very much like an X Files. And now that I kind of understand that that's what they're doing, I have a lot more patience for for the story to just kind of meander. And the first two episodes being really monsters of the week episodes with you know the giant sandworm of Dune and then the uh, s- snow spiders or whatever. So it was just interesting to kind of see that lone wolf thing echoed again. And and at a high level, I I enjoyed it more now that I kind of know what they're going for. I don't know if this is really qualifies as a nugget. I wasn't going to drop it as a nugget, but you know, we did talk about it last time and um, I was reading an, a thing that said that Favreau definitely used Lone Wolf and Cub as an influence for this. Mm, yeah, no doubt. He mentions it in the making of series, which if you haven't seen, it's on Disney plus. It's fucking great. Yes. Yes. I think you made us all watch it. You made us watch it. It was good. <laughs> it was good. I got through half of one episode. It was great. Dude, it's so good. I watched I watched eight of them today, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I, I watched the whole thing. So where do we want to go from high level? Is there any lore thoughts that you guys have? Um, I might be wrong, and you guys rewatched it where I only watched it once, but I don't recall any Mando flashbacks where that was quite a pronounced thing in this first season, kind of flashing back to his youth and stuff. Mm, yeah, no, there's no flashbacks in this one so far. It was just kind of interesting. Like, there's there's definitely more lore. Like, the we'll get to it in, you know, episode whatever, episode 11, with the, like, only a certain sect of Mandalorians keep their masks on and stuff. So there was definitely lore that was sprinkled into this, but I, w- I thought it was interesting there weren't any flashbacks and I think- a lot less kind of throwback stuff, if I if I remember correctly. Well, now that he's over, now that he doesn't have robophobia anymore, I think that's, <laughs> that's literally why they were showing those flashbacks was to give a, you know, a reason for him to be so, uh, you know, racist to droids, basically. Um, yeah. You know, it's the, the battle droids destroying the encampment and killing his parents. Oh, and all that stuff, right? wow. I never, <clears throat> never put that together. Okay. I think, I think that's the reason that those flashbacks were there. So Why he hates IG-11 and the other droids, yeah. Interesting. 
I feel like I feel like yes, that like was the major focus of the flashbacks, but it was also half of the Mandalorian, for lack of a better term, religion lore. Whereas the like all the gang and the underground bunker forging armor was the other half of that like exposition of lore. Mm. I, I just kind of find it interesting that lore is being handled a bit differently here maybe but maybe not maybe i'm just looking too far into four episodes because there's plenty more to go the mando stuff with the mask stuff in the third episode of the season was was a fair a fairly large reveal of more mando stuff mandalorian stuff huge reveal but i i would like huge reveal i would say this season at least the first couple of episodes it's really become about the quest for lore you know so as we're all dying to know about Mandalorians in general, from episode one, he is on a quest to find others of his kind. Mm. And by virtue of that, we know that we're going to find out more interesting lore about Mandalorians. So I would sort of dub this first half of this season the quest for lore. A bit of a setup to... The lore of the Mando. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lore-wise... This was driving me nuts the entire time because there's a lot of lore out there about the Mandalorians. And I was convinced last season that they were just going to abandon all of that completely. And they were just, you know, starting over from scratch. So I was actually really happy to see Bo-Katan show up in this uh, season and for those guys to just take their helmets off and have that whole thing be, you know, kind of a reveal as far as why he won't take his helmet off. Oh, that that was huge. Having not watched the Clone Wars or Rebel stuff, I wasn't overly familiar with it, but having looked it up afterwards, like it's yeah, it's super cool. Especially the Bo Katan stuff and seeing live action representations of some of the animated stuff is super cool, like you said. It's kind of the first time that I can recall a major production of Star Wars stuff pulling from expanded universe stuff, if that makes sense. So kind of very much along the same lines of what you're saying, Benny, of up until now, they generally just abandon all the, all the expanded universe stuff for kind of the side shows and whatnot. And just like some other writer comes on board and just fucking changes everything. And and it was cool that they didn't do that here. Like I wasn't aware of it as much as you were, but it was just even just cool that they weren't abandoning shit that they've covered before. Yeah, it seemed odd that, you know, I mean, Dave Filoni is pretty heavily involved in this and – uh you know, for them to to scrap all the all the war that he was involved with just seems bizarre. But mm. um, that's not the case, so that's cool. It's refreshing for sure. Speaking of lore, there's your fucking lore. <laughs> there's your goddamn lore. There's a whole shit ton of it. Go watch. Yeah, it. and he being you know basically spearheading Clone Wars. You know, he really should be hung if he didn't include the lore that they established in that series, which I finally started watching again after our uh, Endgame conversation last week, Jarhigo. Yes. I thought the structure of this was interesting in the sense that, like, I didn't expect the first episode to be Chapter 9, which makes sense, but so rarely is that done Mm. in the titling of episodes between seasons, even if multiple shows have continuity between seasons. Yeah. I, I I really thought that was cool, and I also love that it's just chapter one, two, three. Like, who cares about – I mean, I've seen a lot of great episodes that have had some great titles for the episodes, but really at the end of the day, I don't really care. It's still mm. episode five. You know what I mean? 
like even Seinfeld that did, I, I thought a great scheme of naming. It was always the something, you know, the Fusilli Jerry, the car keys, the whatever. And I thought those were great. But still, when I refer to the episodes, it's always episode seven, episode 10, whatever, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I really like that they just kept it super simple. You know, mm. it's like this is just yet another chapter in the story. And I liked that it continued on from season one to make it all one contiguous thing. Yeah. And and not differentiate it in some weird way, you know. And unlike a like one of the things that I, I rubs me the wrong way about some book series is you it's like a two or three book series. You read the first book and then you start the second book straight away because you you're reading it well after they've been written. And it, the first third of the of the second book is just retelling the old story. Oh, kind of like our episodes on the books. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> At least how they originally came out. Yeah, exactly. But in this case, like. You've got the huge crescendo at the end of the first season, you know, with IG-11 dying in the lava and, you know, the Black Saber. And it's just quite an action-packed wham-bam of the last two episodes that it makes way more sense to have these first two episodes be more like getting lost, having the car break down and snow spidery stuff instead of it being like a buildup again. It's kind of like the calm after the storm and then they start building again, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I, I dug that. I, I dig it too, man, because it's like we're not it, – it's it's almost the same thing as like – well, it's similar. What you're saying is similar to um, let's tell another origin story. It's like we don't need another origin story. And then Peter Parker got bit by a spider and you're like, fucking, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, really? I, I didn't know that. That's crazy. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah, so I, I, I dig that for sure, you know? Any more higher stuff or do we want to maybe go into the numbered episodes? I would like to mention that in my reading, I, I actually wasn't going to read anything about this because, I don't know, I was like, what could possibly be out there? And I didn't really care that much. But I, I started finding a lot of the reviews were talking about the dynamics of parenting and parent-child relationships in this show, which I found incredibly interesting. I mean, I'm slightly biased because I am a parent now, but... I thought it was cool that all these writers were taking that angle uh, in talking about the series and how in Star Wars in general, it's never really had a positive slant. It's always been fairly negative. You know, Luke and Vader is like this murderer basically and, you know, Leia's lamenting the loss of her once good son who's turned into, you guessed it, a murderer and you know all of that's good old papa palpatine yeah good old papa palpatine grandpa up there you know you know i don't know it was just i found that really interesting uh we don't have to talk about it it may not interest you at all and that's fine but i, I was pretty um i was uh, intrigued by that it um it's interesting that you should say that because in that making of series dave filoni has like a like a four minute long kind of they're at a round table, so it's like all the directors or you know the creators and stuff. Yeah, I remember that part. And um, he has like a four-minute monologue <laughs> about the original trilogy – sorry, the first six movies all the way through and the redemption of Vader. So it very much was a really eloquently put take on parenting and how Vader's redemption at the end in throwing Papa Palpatine down that shaft to save his son is the redemption of him not having a father figure because – 
he had he was like alone. So it's it it very much echoing on that same thought. Mm. I'll I'll link to the episode because it was really like an interesting couple of minute spiel because Dave Filoni is like clearly a Lucas protege, if not like the leading expert in fucking Star Wars lore. The dude is a walking encyclopedia, but uh, yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah, it was very echoes that. I'm with you, man. But uh, without knowing what was written about it, what what were you seeing written about it? Just that it was like a positive spin on it because Mando is like a positive father figure to the baby or what? Yeah, I mean, look, there was plenty and there was some negative things in there as well. But yeah, it was. It was about, um, you know, basically about how single parenting was kind of the the focus there. Oh, okay. And that also that Mando, you know, being what he is, went and took it upon himself to, you know, make the the moral choice to save this child. You know, I mean – it's it's part of the creed of the Mandalorians, sort of, you know, and the foundlings and that whole thing. But how he took it on to protect this child from, you know, what was, I would say, certain death. And then just the relationship of him with the child throughout the course of the various different episodes, you know, and what he has to do. On the negative side, somebody was saying, and they were totally right, that it, it also very much glosses over the difficulties of parenting, you know. So it's kind of like you get all the best parts of being a single parent. It's like, where are all the, where is the diaper changes and being buried up to your elbows and poop and like, you know, all of that good stuff being thrown up on about a zillion million times, you know? So it was, it was just an interesting angle to come at it from. I found it interesting and I had not, I had never really thought about it in the turn, in the context of the show. You know, I just thought like, you know, and this, that, and the other thing, but, you know, his bond with the kid is a thing in the show. So let me let me just kind of tie it into the, the episodes. Like, it, it, it's a very real thing, and they've written it as a very real thing, and it continues to grow. And you can see the dynamic growing as we go through the episodes. And it's really cool. It's become one of my favorite parts of it. And we get a lot more of it in the first four episodes of this season. And I think it's fantastic. Yeah, Mando seems to have settled into his role as a guardian or, or a mm. parent compared to last season where he may have seemed a little more aloof towards the child. Uh, this season, he seems there, there's like a, an intimacy that's sort of developed between them. It seems yes. Um, that, you know, I don't, they didn't slap you in the face with it, but just from little things that they do together in these episodes, it's, mm. it's quite, I don't even know what the word is, but, uh, it's portrayed as as seeming like they they have there's a depth to their relationship now that wasn't there before. Definitely, I think see, see, season one was more like, "Here, kid, hold this grenade real quick." <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and now he's like, "Wait, no, 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 don't touch that." Well, you get the hard exterior. I mean, in a way, like I would almost comment that that is my interpretation of parenthood, where like you have your life before you have kids, and then you have a kid, and like. You're like, holy shit, everything's turned upside down and you're still doing the old stuff. But eventually you kind of warm up and open up to the change, you know, and he definitely seems to have like warmed up to the kid and like the harsh warrior exterior is still outwardly facing. But like he's brought him into the inner circle kind of thing. Very, very much has it has a father son vibe. Yeah, definitely. If Lone Wolf is one of the key sources, though, it's it's not overly how that rolls out, you know, like. Lone Wolf is samurai, like Tokugawa samurai era, where, you know, 
everyone's a hard ass and, you know, you, you look at a samurai the wrong way in the street and they'll fucking cut you in half. And totally. It's Agami Ito, the assassin, and his son. And the son is very much a baby Yoda in the sense of, like, doesn't talk much and, you know, raises an eyebrow here and there. But it's just kind of along for the ride. And the father's like a super hard ass. So I think the difference between this and that that I like is that kind of warming up and kind of, like, there's a, a good use of, of comedic you know, stuff in there too. Like the fucking egg, eating the eggs was just so goddamn funny. <laughs> I really got a kick out of all that stuff. So oh, God, I can't believe that people wanted to cancel the show because of that. Did they really? What? Yeah, there was a, you know, apparently a Twitter kerfuffle of some kind. Jesus Christ. Twitter kerfuffle. Had, a, had an encounter, had an encounter with the dark side of the woke. Oh, <laughs> man. People were like, well, it's an endangered species. Baby Yoda's terrible. And, Jesus, man. It's just supposed to be, like, lighthearted and funny. Like, it's supposed to be a goof, you know? Are people that inside out now? I mean, it really, we're, this is... It's a TV show. Jesus. Yeah, we're having conversations <laughs> about that. Ugh, come on. I, I would invite them to watch uh, season two of The Boys if they uh, if they think that's hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> you go and watch people get yeah. their heads popped with, like, Nazi sex scenes and stuff. Like, Ugh, my God. If, if a baby Yoda eating an egg is going to freak you out, man. Might I suggest you uh, hold your breath for five minutes and come back to me? You know, the thing about The Mandalorian, too, in terms of the whole child relationship is that it's central to the, I guess you could call it a religion, whatever, the way of The Mandalorian. So it's like if you see a child or a foundling, it's like it is your duty to take them on and protect them and love them and hug them make and call sure them that George. they're kept safe. You know, and then what's interesting too to me is that they're indoctrinated into this clan of warriors and essentially forced to be warriors, but warriors with like a really high moral compass and code, you know? So I don't know. That's just, it's a really interesting dynamic to me. And I really think that that's something that, I mean, I don't, I can't comment on Lone Wolf and Cub because I haven't read it, but just from watching Mando, like that, that's a very cool concept that you don't really see a whole lot of, you know what I mean? Where it's like a bounty hunter sort of assassin with this very specific moral code and compass, you know, and that's part of his way, his religion, whatever you want to call it, the words are escaping me, of taking in and protecting children. So I don't know. I think that's very, very cool. Mm. Yeah, you don't encounter the children thing often. You've got like your classic Arthurian knight stuff and your classic samurai stuff, but it's almost always men. It's almost always like personal heroism and legendary status. It's never like taking the kid under their wing kind of thing. Right. And there's no, as you've commented with a lot of vitriol recently, Chad, there's no saving the goddamn universe. In this, <laughs> it's just not yet, anyway. No, it's super simple. It's about protecting the kid, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, it's like that Vigo movie, uh, that post-apocalyptic movie. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me right now, but, you know, it's the same kind of idea. It's like he's going with his son across the country. The road. Yeah, the road. There you go. You know, kind of protecting the kid. Yeah. Even though it's his kid. You know, whatever. Vigo Mortensen or Vigo, the character from Brain Candy? Wait, Vigo from Brain Candy. I was thinking Vigo, the whatever, the Carapathian from Ghostbusters 2. Oh, Vigo. Uh, oh, my God. There you go. Vigo, the um, the Carpathian. Yeah, Carpa yeah Carpathian. 
Wait, who is Vigo and Brain Candy? I know this is such a ridiculous cul-de-sac, but this needs to be sorted right now. <laughs> I must know. No, wait. Was wasn't that the name of the wasn't that the name of the the singer the, dude? The, the metal. Dude. Oh no no no. That's it's Grivo. Oh, that's right. Ugh, Grivo. Well, whatever. Dyslexic Vigo. Whatever. I, now I'm trying it. Now I'm picturing Bruce McCullough as Grivo in those stupid snow pant overalls with no shirt, walking across the country with that kid. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> in the I walk. Post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> Sometimes I work. But I like uh, also I like yours, Chad. The uh, Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> that guy, I I cannot remember the actor's name, but he played Fish on Ally McBeal. I don't know why I know that because I never really watched Ally McBeal. Well, actually, clearly I secretly did because I know his name. Hashtag Dancing Baby. No, he wasn't Fish. He was somebody else. But he he's a great actor, man. He just God, that guy had the. I'm glad we're taking the time. <laughs> I know. So I'm sorry, man. I know this is like a ridiculous cul-de-sac. No, sorry. it's okay. You're everybody's. You're everybody Kev's in a cul-de-sac that broke off from your original cul-de-sac. I got to say, I mean, we haven't covered this movie yet, but I will say right now that he is almost one of the more memorable parts of Ghostbusters 2. Oh, definitely. Because of that accent, you know? Definitely. Anyway. We were somewhere good there for a second. I was trying to That's think of death. Yeah, I was talking about the relationship of of the dynamics with the the children and and how that was central to this story and central to the way of the Mandalorian and how that was well, I didn't say this, but it's part of what makes this show super cool and unique, you know, is that dynamic. And and very relatable and also very endearing as well. Like you your your compassion and your caring for the characters is is much much higher i think because of that you know anybody bueller yeah yeah totally just on the um not saving the universe thing that you mentioned a minute ago john favs and uh filoni were talking at this round table in that behind the scenes series and they were saying that one of their early conversations was like we want the show to be like our big brother came and took all the cool toys and left us with all of the various like second run characters, but we somehow got a Boba Fett character and painted it silver so that it was our own. And like, it's the adventures that we would have in that regard. And I really liked that framing of it. Yes. I dig that a lot. And so like, you know, the little brother, like shit kicker with all the shit kicker toys not saving the universe, but just having some fun, like is very much the vibe I get. So I was totally like, fuck yeah, that's super cool. That's that's a super interesting framing and I like that. No doubt, dude. And I as an older brother, I was always impressed with what my younger brother could do with painting action figures and creating his own worlds after I had stolen all of his toys and then shot most of the action figures with BB guns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. <laughs> I was the youngest, but I guess I was lucky enough that my older brothers were so much older than me that they had no desire to, you know, play with my Star Wars toys. It would have been really funny if you had said they just shot me with BB guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that did happen once, I think. Did that happen? Almost assuredly. No, that didn't happen. Never mind. Jimmy, Jimmy Google, can you confirm that? Did Jarhigo get shot with a BB gun by his brothers? Back into the left. Shall we get into the episodes? Yeah. Episode 9 is... The first episode of the season, 
Um, and it ends up with the seven samurai style sandworm stuff at the end, which we'll get to in a moment. But, um, I enjoyed the opening with the Cyclops dude. I thought that was a cool cold open. Yes. Uh, can I just interrupt you for a second and say that the first thing that has to be said is that the opening shot, the literal opening shot for this episode was so good. Sunset in the background. It's basically twilight and we've got just enough light to see Mando and the pram with the kid in it walking towards the camera, which I just thought was fantastic, man. Very lone wolf. As was the cinematography on every single episode. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it a little bit later, but cinematography all the way. I found the score I didn't really pay much attention to this time around, but I might I might when I pay more attention to it on a second watch or something. Oh my. But did you guys have a – am I sniping a nugget with the Cyclops dude in the opening uh, sequence? No, you're not. But I – in general throughout the series, especially in this season it seems, um, really enjoying seeing the like various types of critters that you saw in yeah. the cantina in the first Star Wars yeah. movie sort of like – you know, in action, you know, just, just around the world. Like it's, it's cool to see that. Yeah. Like populating the, populating the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you, you saw them, but you didn't know what any of their stories were. So it's cool to see like, for instance, Cyclops guy. Yeah. You know? And what about the bug guy that she's playing cards with? You know, like that was great. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely. You know, and I, I'm, I'm coming, coming at that from the angle of, you know, an insurrection, I started complaining about the aliens, and and Ben gave me a uh, well deserved lashing on the back of my hand. <laughs> a well deserved shut the fuck up, death. <laughs> yeah, pretty much saying that you know, dude, the, the aliens are pretty crappy in Star Trek. Like it's the part of the ticket price. Get over it. And you know, so I was very refreshed to see interesting looking uh, alien life forms, you know, that we've come to, to know and love from the Star Wars universe. And that's one thing that the Star Wars universe has always dialed in and gotten, I think, better than, you know, they did on Star Trek. Although that was a t- television show primarily more than films first. And maybe to add on to that a little bit, because I watched a lot of that making of stuff today, you said they did a lot better than anybody else, and I would just add at the time. So, like, each movie that came out, aside from the CG masturbatory prequel trilogy, like, they did the best they could with the limited budgets maybe in the first – the original trilogy. And I love that they've taken those characters, even if they were background characters, and they've subtly upgraded their visuals but not overdone mm-hmm. it now. So, like, they've kind of – Agree. They've kind of – been mindful of the visuals which aided in that bringing them to life like like ben you mentioned a second ago so i really Mm -hmm. dig that like they took what was previously like a really rigid fucking foam helmet in the 70s in the background of the cantina and turned it into like a animatronic cyclops dude or whatever and it's just like yeah cool perfect Mm -hmm. well said it's like respectful of that old material i guess and it's like huge fan service well, you know, those those characters, I mean, we've talked about this before. We all love lore and we all love world building. And it's like when you're when you're building out a world in a microcosm, you know, when you're in a visual medium, especially as opposed to like books or audio, like when you've just got great creatures and vehicles and bleep bloops. Oh, I love bleep bloops. And all of that good stuff around, you know, it just sucks you 
more into that microcosm mm. than if they weren't there. And, you know, Ben's point is really good. Like it's, they're there and yours as well, Chad, like they're there and they're updated. And not only that, but like in, in the, in the case of Rogue One, excuse me, we get to see that big bruiser and that, uh, grouchy guy from the bar in the original Star Wars in Jetta City, you know, which was, which was kind of, it was a cool nod. I'm getting kind of tired of like fan service like that. I think we've talked about that, but they, they don't overdo that. I mean, to bring up another point, they don't overdo that in this. And, and there's a lot of, there's some legitimate tie-ins and I'll just throw two from my notes right there as a segue. Is that the original Cantina? And is that Boba Fett's armor? It's gotta be. It's definitely Boba Fett's armor, I feel. Uh, it's absolutely Boba Fett's armor. Of course yeah. it is. Nice. There was even rumblings that the dude looking at him with the guns on his back is Boba Fett. No, that's definitely Boba Fett. It's the same actor that played Django, so it's definitely Boba Fett. That's like smack you in the face. That's not even up for debate. <laughs> sure, I didn't know that that was the same actor because I didn't look at the credits and stuff, but now that I'm aware, it's clearly him. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Yeah, it's the same Kiwi dude. Yeah, I saw that Tamura Morrison was in the credits, and I knew that he was the guy that played the, the clone troopers and all that and Django, and I was like, where is he in this episode and i even made a note i didn't even recognize him because i made a note that said who's the mysterious dude at the end of the first episode yeah i just didn't put it together man maybe it was the shaved head i have no idea but i'm kind of surprised that that they did that you just blew my mind man they like (laughs) i read a whole bunch of stuff about how they kept the baby secret so that the episode one season one you were like oh wow this is so cool like all the kids on the sets were like told to keep it a secret, like in your fucking blue shrimp episode. And so they, they, they spent all this time and effort to make sure baby Yoda was a fucking secret, but then they have the dude that plays Django Fett in the credits. It just makes no sense to me why they wouldn't have just like kept that under wraps. But I mean, I don't have a problem with it. It just seems kind of strange. I don't, I don't think they're trying to hide anything that the entire first episode is basically like the story, the elephant in the room that they, they never actually say anything about, but it's right there in front of you, is what happened to Boba Fett. Right, exactly. Totally, totally. But at the same time, like, you know, I didn't know or put two and two together that the guy standing with his back to the camera at the end was Boba Fett, either because A, I missed it, or B, because I don't read about any of this stuff and I didn't know that that actor was in it or anything like that. So, like, I obviously knew that that was his armor. And was like, oh, I wonder if he's alive. But I didn't put two and two together with him being the dude standing there, for example. Gotcha. But now that I read that that actor was in it, it's fucking super obvious, you know? The whole thing is is set up for you to be like, oh, that's Boba Fett's armor. Oh, that's that's a, a Sarlacc pick. Oh, the, the crate Dragon ate the – oh, that's how the armor – that's how he got out. Like, you know, it's like he was being eaten by the Sarlacc pit and then the Sarlacc pit got eaten by something bigger and he got, he got away basically, you know? <laughs> Like the shitty, there's always a bigger fish scene in fucking uh, the prequel fucking movie there. Um, <laughs> like literally this, the same thing happened, you know, like he was being eaten. Then all of a sudden the thing that was eating him got eaten. So, mm. so I think it's all right there. Pretty, pretty clear, you know. So, so it's are like, how the fuck does, how is Boba Fett alive? You know, like, they, like here's how he's alive. That's what they did. <laughs> And exactly. To explain it in a different way for some of the folks at home that may not be able to understand it, it's similar to a turducken. <laughs> it's a turkey. Yes. Yes. Stuffed with a duck, stuffed with an oven. 
turducken. Or a turkey. That was a that was a death. Yes. Yeah, it kind of was. It's more like a turducken. <laughs> Plus like a turkey key, which is a turkey stuffed inside of a turkey. A turkey? A turkey key. I like it. That's like Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin. Wow, that was upsetting. Did you hear about that where he went to the internet to pick a middle name and he legally changed it and everyone voted for Macaulay Culkin? So his name is Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin? Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin? <laughs> wow. he, like, he went to a judge and got it official. I think it's the best thing ever. I think that's fantastic. I like that. I'm still really upset about my turducken joke not landing, but I'll get over it by the end of the episode. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there eventually. You've been very uh, – I think you've taken the sassy squirrel mantle for the last couple episodes, to be fair. It was good. It just wasn't the right time for it. I know, Ben. Sorry. You're right. It, it really is all about the timing. Mm. I wasn't ready for it. My mind was still trying to think of the last part of whatever I was trying to say. And Yeah, sorry, man. No, dude. It's all right. It's okay. I'm not. Well, we kind we kind of blasted by a couple of things. Um, Amy Sedaris's character as the uh, mechanic with her little droidlings is back, and Kev, you were super like Warren Sassy Squirrel about her, and I want to know if you're still if you're still not a fan. Not her, but the character. You know what it is? It's not. It's not Amy Sedaris. I don't. <laughs> I don't dislike her. I don't like the character and I don't like the way it's written and I don't like the dialogue of the character. It's too contemporary. Like we we talked about that in terms of uh, whatever the final stupid Star Wars movie was. Right? What was it? Rise, Rise of, of Skywalker. Rise of Papa Palpatine. Sorry, what am I thinking? Um, the, the dialogue, it's too um, – what was the word you guys used? Familiar? They're trying to make it sound too familiar, too contemporary. Contemporary. You, you, this is exactly the same thought you had last time. So it sounds like you're in the same space. Yeah, it is. So I won't say anything else about it. It's just it's too contemporary. And it bothers me because the rest of the show is so good and not like that. Yeah. Next item. <laughs> and I have a, a frown face because it's the only sandworm we're going to see this year. That's my only, my only other comment on this episode. Super bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer, man. I liked Oliphant. That was good. Oliphant was great. He was great. I I wasn't a Deadwood head back in the day, so it doesn't didn't really ring any bells for me. But um, yeah, he he was awesome. Even though his name made me saying Cobb Vanth makes me feel like I have a wisp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cobb Vanth, and that somebody's going to throw a Cobb salad down in front of your face, like anywhere you go. Yeah, I don't know. Try to make me smoke a corn cob pipe or something. I kind of want to buy you a corn cob pipe now. Ooh. Okay, so uh, other notes that I had were this is just reaffirms that this is such a Western, and I love that. Totally. The music, you said you didn't really get to absorb that, and I understand because you were really focused on the story and all that stuff, but I did get to focus on the music a little bit at times where it really jumped out at me, and it is just phenomenal, man. Mm. I, they even went so far as to release this season's soundtrack in two parts uh, for episodes one through four and through uh, and then for five through eight which I thought was pretty interesting, that they mm. gave each part its own due uh, as a little proto-nugget there. And then uh, I was very um, interested to see more about the Tusken Raiders. Mm. We first were introduced to the Tusken Raiders all the way back in the original Star Wars, and they're such a mysterious group of Fremen-esque people. And I, I was really excited to see an entire episode 
kind of revolving around them or where they were they were a major player at the very least and i love that mando knew their language mm. and their customs and you know just kind of pulled him in on this whole adventure just loved that absolutely loved that mm. Mm. especially the like getting them to team up with the townspeople thing that was cool yeah exactly uh, i also loved that john leguizamo played the cyclops dude ah sweet awesome snipe oh really i i did not know that Sorry. Oh, is that? Oh, I sniped your nugget. Now yeah. you know how it feels, Chad. How about that? How does it feel? And then the last note I have is that I just loved the absolute. <laughs> Let Benny chime in for a second. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I was just going to say I liked that they spent so much time with the sand people and like we definitely learned something about them, but we're still it's still a mystery as to what they really are. Like, are they totally. people under there? Are they aliens? Are those things actually their faces or are they a mask? Like, you know, uh, it's it's all still completely mysterious. So I think that was I think that's really cool that they managed to maintain that. I couldn't agree more. I mm. like how they they gave them so much due and so much screen time and then yet still kept them sh- totally shrouded in mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah. Super, super great way to handle that. Um, Next. And then onto my last note about, is I just loved the absolute Olympic pool size amount of turbo puke that came out of the worm's mouth that melted all of those people in this episode. Yeah, that was uh, pretty hectic. Right? It's a lot of that's a lot of turbo puke, man. That was a lot of turbo puke. That was a cool sequence. I like that they, they tried to lure the crate dragon out with a bantha and it ended up eating the sand person. That was instead. cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And I kinda wanna say that it wasn't turbo puke, but it was like puking up Brondo. It's what plants crave, but maybe not. Ooh, Ooh. nice tie in to a previous episode. It did look like Brondo. Cabo breaker. <laughs> Next. Ice spiders. On to ice spiders. Okay, on to ice spiders. The first, uh, we, we somewhat touched on this, um, but this is really a season two comment that I made was, the, is it the same cantina? It's got to be the same cantina. Is it not the same cantina? Don't know. I think it is. Is it Moss Eisley? Are, are they in Moss Eisley? Yeah, they're in Moss Eisley. That's where uh, Amy Sedaris's character lives. Oh, that's true. I think it s- insinuates that it might have even been the same bay that the Falcon was in. Whoa. Well, just uh, there was some random like cul-de-sac nug fest I was reading about where there was like. um, Was that the title of it? Yeah. There was a highly recognizable (laughs) like pump of some sort that street cleaners in Britain would use. This like yellow domed thing. Oh, Jesus. This Mm. is like over nerd. Oh, dude. It's like turbo nerd. So it's just like any, any American wouldn't have known that this random thing sitting in the background is of, you know, episode four, a new hope was like a fucking vacuum cleaner in England. But like any English person would have been like, Hey, that's a fucking vacuum cleaner. And so this whole diatribe nerd fest in Hanson Hans that this dude went down was kind of saying that it was Moss Eisley and likely that Bay. So you're probably right. I mean, Oh my God. It wouldn't surprise me if it is the same cantina. Yeah. That is turbo nerd. It's a Star Wars, bro. I mean, the only other nerd group that's on par with the Star Wars nerdery is the Star Trek nerdery, so. And that that nerdery started way before this nerdery, so. Well, let's not have a fucking Star Trek versus Star Wars flame war, a la AOL Online. Like a nerd war? Oh, my God. AOL Online? Oh, my God. Is it freaking 1999 again? I love it. Dude, I used to participate in those. I'm not ashamed. Oh, wow. Alrighty, then. All right. (laughs) 
I love how disappointed you are and how nerdy I am. Uh, well, yeah, that's kind of how, like, in the past when I've said something nerdy and you're just like, God, you guys are such nerds. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you just return in the favor. Exactly. All right. Uh, Benny, what do you got for this episode? Anything notable? Hmm? <sighs> that's a great way to start. <laughs> My mind is going somewhere else completely. It's okay. I was still stuck on. I was still stuck on Moss Eisley there. Oh, the vacuum cleaner thing. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> yes. So it was interesting that they got pulled over by uh, space cops in X wings. That was interesting. Yeah, that was super interesting. That's Did you that. say state cops in X wings? No, space cops. Space cops. Oh, space cops. It would be funny if they were like Massachusetts state troopers, though, with like the right with those stupid hats, the riding boots and the weird like pantaloon pants and the well, the Empire people do kind of have those pantaloon pants, to be fair. They do. Mass state troopers kind of look like they're yeah Imperial. Yeah, the space cop thing was super interesting. I I really like how they didn't really expand the characters in the season. They just kind of are revisiting a lot of them, including the space cops that come in and blast up that uh, base in the first season. So it was really cool. I agree. Uh, I It's kind of an interesting – are those in fact the same characters from the first season? Maybe, maybe not. Either way. I'm just saying that they are even if I'm wrong. I think they are. Those two guys were were there in multiple episodes. They they were the same two guys from the ice cave, and then they came back in episode four. So it was cool to see more you know recurring characters in that sector. And the New Republic heads looking for Mando, just like the Imperials are. So it's kind of he's getting it from both sides. Yeah, but the the New Republic they're not really. Um, I mean, they're 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 looking for him, but they're also like, well, you know, you did X and you did Y, so yeah, well, I should arrest you. Like, we really appreciate that you did X, you know. Mm. True, but in the at the end of episode four, when he's interviewing uh, Cara Dune, he's like, "Yo, there's something going on here." So, like, they're kind of like, you know, true detectiving, trying to figure out what the fuck's going on while the Imperials are the ones causing the problems. But they're all kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And Mando's the center of it, I guess, is kind of what I meant. Between the Republic cops and the eating of the eggs, like, it was an entertaining episode. It was a, it was a fun romp and the frog lady and the ice spiders and all that stuff. But the cops and the frog the, and the um, the cops and the eggs are the things that really jump out at me on that one. Yeah, I, I had a note as the, the kid and his relationship with this food, with the food in general has just become a funny thing. You know, the kid, mm. he's sort of always hungry and... He's the Brad Pitt of the show. The what? The Brad Pitt of the show. Brad Pitt's always eating something in every movie he's ever in. Never mind. I'm oh, dead. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. He is actually. I was just thinking about like Moneyball and Ocean's Twelve. Sorry, that's okay. You're not dead. That that's not a death because you made me think about it. He's always eating something gross, alive, and completely inappropriate. <laughs> the kid. Yeah. Totally, man. Uh, I really just thought that that was a great, funny little dynamic to put in there that it's so simple, but it somehow works great. And it it makes me smile every time I see it, like using the force pull to grab the little teal wafer cookies. Yeah, dude. Let's just say I want to say for the record that just now I thought how funny it would be if there was some blue milk to go with those blue cookies. But ooh, 
also that um, it, it calls out to your parenthood thing where, like, kids never stop fucking eating. So he's definitely got that vibe going, too. Yeah, no doubt, man. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I just – the exchange between – I'm just going to kind of rattle through my few notes. I don't have a ton for this episode, but um, the conversation where the two state troopers first encounter Mando and it, it's just really – it's really well written, you know, and he's uh, – I don't – yeah, I don't I don't have that hardware online. Oh, there it is. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, totally. <laughs> it's just a great little funny exchange, you know. Kind of like Lumberg and Office Space. They're like, we're going to have to ask you to go ahead and push that follow button. us to the base. <laughs> yeah. Am I under arrest? <laughs> but it was it was almost like a better a better version of the Poe Dameron. You're breaking up. Can you hear me now? Scene in uh, one of those new movies. Oh, so much better. Ugh. Don't even don't even bring them up. <laughs> Strike them from the record. Yeah, it's just going to ruin our ruin our morning. So in your evening, um, the next note I had was just the the shots were just absolutely gorgeous, man. The the whole chase through the clouds on the ice planet was fantastic. The shots of the ice and the canyon just absolutely gorgeous, man. I absolutely loved it. That was so sick. Uh, interesting side note is there was a, I was reading a lot. There was a lot about the techniques they use to film this and do the special effects. And without going into a huge diatribe about it, one of the things that they were able to do essentially, Favreau was able to do, um, using green screens and various different things was have camera crews go out and film the backgrounds and then bring the backgrounds to the actors instead of vice versa, bringing the actors out on location and shooting these various places. They went out and shot the ice shots, for instance, in Chile and Iceland, and they were able to bring that footage back, superimpose it, and then have the actors do all the work in the scenes on the sets. Mm. So really, really interesting. Uh, We can link that up for anybody that wants to read deeper into that, because there's quite a bit there and it was pretty fascinating. Um, Moving right along. There's a whole episode of that show that you seem to really hate the making of that's all about that. So it'd be worth checking out for sure. (laughs) I love how you think I hate that. Well, I was like, yeah, the show. And you were like mumbling, like fucking, yeah, the stupid thing you made us watch. (laughs) I I thought it was good. (laughs) I was just kidding around, dude. I feel like, I feel like we talked about like the crazy 3d soundstage the first time though. So I don't want to, it's worth checking out if you haven't seen the making of, and there's an episode specifically on it. So I just mention it. If it piques anybody's interest to check it out. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. We don't have to spend more time on it. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say, I mean, obviously the ice spiders were very cool, but, um, the frog woman, I really, at the beginning I was kind of like, frog creature, Eh." you know, like this is kind of dumb, but, as the episode went on and then as I rewatched it yesterday, I, I really felt that whoever was underneath that makeup, that costume, was really able to convey a lot of emotion in that character through reprogramming the droid, which I thought was super cool, mm. to be able to communicate with the Mandalorian and then also just uh, communicating in her nav- native tongue and with gestures and with um, looks and all of that stuff, it, it, the actor, excuse me, and in post, with the combination of the actor and the production, they were able to make a very warm and heartfelt character. And it 
really, I wouldn't say it exactly hit me in the feels, but I was definitely feeling it, man. Like, it was a really great performance, and I really feel like I underestimated the character when I first watched it, and I, I really thought it was a great character. Mm. And I, I was really... absolutely. Yeah, really just getting the, the feelings coming coming off that <laughs> of the mom with her last, you know, chance at breeding, uh, the kid eating the eggs aside, taking, you know, talking about how much they've struggled and suffered to carve out this life on one of the only hospitable planets they could live on. And, and it was just really, really cool. I, I, I really dug it a lot. I like that character a lot. And it paid off with her meeting up with her husband again, too. Absolutely, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'll echo what you said when when that character first appeared. I was like, okay, that's a choice they made. <laughs> they can't all be great, you know. Like, but I ended up really, uh, you know, like you said, the actor did a great job, and the animatronics were so expressive. Like, I ended up loving that character, mm. um, even though when I first saw it, I was like, okay. <laughs> I think, especially in the way that she both convinces the audience and Mando to give a shit, because he doesn't give a shit at first. You know, but by the end of it, he's like, yeah, cool. All right, I'll help you, you know, and like it kind of you begrudgingly as the audience go along as well. You're like random fucking frog. Cool. But by the end, you're like stoked that she meets her husband and then then like stoked that they babysit baby Yoda for a while. And it's just kind of like it works. Yeah, worked really, really well. So I suppose that's a segue into the next one. If if uh, we don't have any more notes on that, I do not. Let's go. Other than the uh, similarities to uh, Alien with the spider eggs. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yes. I thought of that the first time I watched it. And I wasn't th- I forgot about it. Yeah, that was very interesting and cool. That's like a great scene, the way everything comes together and the shit hits the fan. Like, you know, she's in the she's in the pool with the eggs and like Mando's trying to help her get the eggs in the thing. And like Baby Yoda's like eating something you shouldn't be eating again. And then like it all just kind of, you know, the shit hits the fan right there and then. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was also cool that that little pocket was like a little sort of a warm spring in, you know, almost like a volcanic spring in the in the midst of all that freezing cold ice. Absolutely. I'll drop a little nugget there, actually. Um, I read that the spider creatures are based on original uh, Ralph McQuarrie sketches. They're almost identical to concept work he did for Empire, which is kind of cool. Nice. Sweet. I'm I'm glad because I if we had seen the the wampa or whatever that creature was in Empire, I would have gotten really upset. Fair enough. If it was the same one missing its arm, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that would have that, I would have not only stopped watching the show right then, I would have thrown a bottle at the TV. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing like breaking your own property when something upsets you, right? That felt great for a second, but now I'm angry with myself. <laughs> I'm just angry. All right, next. Frog Lady segues to her husband on the next episode. I uh, I love the crane in the beginning that has walker legs. Everything, I love how everything has walker legs. That, tr- that too, that too. But it reminds me specifically of um, when I moved out to San Francisco and went across the um, Bay Bridge for the first time over to Oakland. All of the dock cranes along the shore looked like ATATs coming into fucking blast Oakland. And I was commenting on it at the time. And it turns out that they were the inspiration for them when Lucas was driving back and forth back in the day. So I like that the dock. Are you serious? Yeah. Deadly serious. Yeah. I'm glad that the, that they did a little shout out to that with the dock crane being a walker in this. So I think it was a definitely like a fan service nod to it. I like it. 
And for the folks at home that didn't catch it, we are deadly serious about our nuggets. Deadly. We don't fuck around with nuggets around here. The only note I have from this episode is when he's coming in for the landing on Trask, I think the name of the planet is, just the 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 realistic nature of the ship breaking down, I, I just found was a very cool thing throughout these couple of episodes. And to that point, when he's coming in for the manual landing in the beginning, there's just... <laughs> chunks of shit flying off the ship i just thought that was great i don't know it just added another great level of detail you know of like your ship's open to space you're basically trapped in the cockpit and it's literally falling apart and then to land and then fall in the water it was great and the dude just shaking his head yeah i I don't want to anyway poo poo on that note but are you seriously telling me that you only have that note and not the most important note that Ben's about to drop? Uh, that's the only note I wrote. Okay. Because the most important part of this episode is is shortly after that. I know what's coming, man. I know what's <laughs> okay. coming. So, so, so why don't you go ahead? Yeah. This is one thing I was super amped to talk about. And that would be... <laughs> Pregnant pause. They, they go to a restaurant and they are... Sc- from tubes squirting out Admiral Akbar's New England style chowder. Hey, dude, I was so fucking pumped when that happened. I knew it would manifest itself. I I couldn't tell you of a time I've been more pumped. And uh, a little little teeny nugget here: that guy uh, who was the proprietor of the restaurant, or who was, at least was the host, uh, that's uh, Admiral Akbar's son. Is it really? <clears throat> I have no idea. I just thought it would okay. sound cool if I said it as a fake nugget. And I think that you should be allowed to live for that, and I should be—I should be dead for buying it. I think I think that should be the rule too. Yeah. Stand by. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a word from our sponsor. Hey, kids, are you ready? I can't hear you. It's not a trap. The In This Episode Everybody Dies podcast is brought to you by Admiral Akbar's New England-style clam chowder. Me just the Mon Calamari way. Now with 10% more live cephalopods. It's not a trap. Creamy and delicious. It's not a trap. Keep your eye out for the ceiling-mounted hose. It's not a trap. Creamy and delicious. It's not a trap. Don't be fooled by pale imitations. Like my son's Manhattan style. It's not a trap. Everyone knows chowder should not have tomato sauce in it. It's not a trap. Chowder what an bowl. It's not a trap. I love the little little comment of don't play with your food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. The the uh, best car in this what we, this is where it's it kind of starts in this episode. I think, but maybe maybe in the first one, the just we're kind of getting this recurring comment. No, it started in the very beginning of the first one. The this Beskar armor is this metal is highly prized, and now everybody is kind of after it. You know, like uh, Johnny Legs as the Cyclops guy, and then the Davy Jones Pirates of the Caribbean dude on the boat. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean you know, six. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean 20. I uh, was kind of saying the same thing, you know, about getting the best car. So I, I thought that was an interesting sort of updated element in the lore of the show. 
And they surprisingly, you know, one-upped Mando. You know, you don't really pull one over on him, but they ended up, you know, getting him pretty good underneath the cage in the middle of that boat. Yeah, they really did. I, I, I didn't see that coming at all. I couldn't believe that he kind of fell for that, you know? Totally fell for it. Oh, that that dude whacked the crib into the ocean with, like, a fucking hockey puck. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. This is where we get the introduction of, basically, the giant lore bomb of the show. And we'll let uh, Jarhigo talk about that, because I know he's stoked about it. Can you expand a little bit on the connection to Rebels and Clone Wars, Benny? Yeah, I was just I was kind of saying that Ben cuz you're kind of the resident Mando expert, Mandalorian expert here. Yes, sure. Well, I mean, number 1, no I've been hearing that uh certain characters might be involved in this season, but they totally kept uh they totally kept Bo-Katan like under the radar. The fact that it's Katie Sackoff playing her who she actually did the voice for the animated character. Oh, wow. Is great and like she just totally looks the part. Yeah. Um it was great to connect to Clone Wars and Rebels and to sort of answer questions about the story that we'd sort of talked about earlier with, uh, you know, the fact that Mando doesn't take his, his mask off or his helmet off, excuse me. Um, that wasn't never a thing with Mandalorians as far as I knew. So it was confusing, of course. But now that we know that he's actually just from a sort of uh, fundamentalist sect of Mandalorians that busted off and went off on their own, it, it's totally, I, I buy it. And what was the name of that? I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I did too. What was the name of that splinter cell? She said it right then at the, the beginning. Children of something. And children I of the corn, I think, too. The children of the corn. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. Little little nod back to Cobb Vanth there. So by that rationale, would you say that they're corn DeLoreans, not they Mandalorians? <laughs> corn DeLoreans. Mandacornians? Yeah, no, nah, corn DeLoreans works better, I think. Corn DeLoreans. <laughs> <laughs> Let's spend 10 minutes workshopping it live on the air. I I that blew that blew my mind that it was just like such a perfectly plausible way to explain what was happening so far with the you know Mando not taking his helmet off stuff. I was just like fuck mm-hmm. yeah that's genius. Definitely you know I was I was glad that I didn't have to accept some completely new canon, you know, like that this was just the way that all Mandalorians were like you know I was kind of uh dreading that um about this show at first so i'm glad it's not something that's you know i'm glad it's a self-contained thing mm. um but yeah uh bo-katan Kreez is like she's like next you know she's like the heir to the throne of of mandalore um and i believe it's her sister satine was uh obi-wan's flame oh yucky soba is she gonna maybe do a cameo on a cooking with obi-wan <laughs> no she was the the duchess satine so she was like the, the leader of mandalore and she was you know she was yeah she was i love this man go nerd i want 19 inception levels deep here bro she was killed by whom <laughs> she got killed by uh, darth maul who sort of uh took over mandalore for a while whoa i'd be really interested to see if darth maul comes into this that was kind of one of those interesting moments at the end of the solo film that he's the crime lord so i dug that but in solo i dug that and the more i watch solo and think about it the more i like that movie but i really don't want to see darth maul in this yeah fair enough fair enough don't good stuff i just thought that the helmet the whole thing about the helmets was like 
it was like, here we have this whole thing and there's like clearly all of these people involved and these different Mandalorians and the foundlings and this whole thing. And then it's like, come to find out there's just a whole nother world of Mandalore and the Mandalorians that just don't do that. And I just thought that that was fantastic. Mm, and I like that they both were unaware of each other or maybe not unaware of each other, but the like the normal quote unquote yeah. Mandalorians were kind of like oh he's one of them and then he's like what do you mean yeah she was like oh you're not reading your TPS reports totally you're from the children of the corn I get it you're from the children of the corn so you're one of those corn Delorians okay now that is a dead death you know what sucks man is that every time I say corn Delorean now I think of a Delorean automobile made out of corn that and that sucks I don't think that sucks. No, I didn't say it sucks. I just said that's what I keep thinking of. So is Cobb Vanth a, an honorary member of the Children of the Corn? <laughs> Zinga. Oh, is that another dad joke death, Chad? Uh, sure, but no. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> His full name is Corn Cobb Vanth. <laughs> See, that was good. I'd buy that. I'll buy that for a dollar. Um, <laughs> Ooh, nice, nice reference. In reference to the climax of this particular episode where all the Mandalorians raid the Imperial ship, I really enjoyed the stoicism of the Imperial ship captain who's just kind of like standing there stone-facing and chooses to go down with the ship by like blasting his pilot and stuff. And it was I, I like the whole sequence. It was cool. I really like that Titus Welliver was the Imperial officer on the ship. I don't know who that is. Everybody kevs me. The two things that I know him from are he has a series actually on Amazon called Bosch that I've never watched mm. that looks good. It's supposed to be really good. Ooh. I'm assuming it's some sort of television show, a cop show rather. And the other thing that he's from that has become, in my opinion, arguably one of the best heist movies ever is The Town starring and directed by our friend, friend of the show, Ben, um, Jesus, I keep wanting to say Stiller, but I know that's not it. Ben Affleck. He's a friend of the show. He is now. And he... Um, Old Beignet. He got a... Ben Affleck is no friend of mine. Ooh, sorry. Yeah, Batman. Okay, let me retract that. Ben Affleck <laughs> is not a friend of this show. I'm a fan of Ben Affleck. And go. I think that that's a... The Town is an excellent movie and a great heist movie. And Titus Welliver was in that with John Hamm as one, one of the FBI guys. Anyway, I went on that whole tear about being like British and evil or whatever. Evil British douchey. Oh, uh, yes. No, not evil. Not EBD. That was for... Double impact. God, that was a terrible movie. <laughs> no, when we talked about Rise of Papa Palpatine at the end, I, I said, I went on a tirade about that and how. Yes, yes. Evil British. Yes. Oh, I understand you're evil and British as well. <laughs> Come aboard my ship. You know, like I loved that he wasn't like that, even though his two little pilots were. Uh, he, he did a great job. He was the perfect Imperial Dingleberry. And I loved that he was like, he's going to kill me, so I'm going to kill myself now. Mm. Bye. Bye. See ya. Yeah, and Giancarlo it. Esposito being like, oh, yeah, nah, too late for that. So you know what to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You you don't typically see Imperial officers like have uh, have a spine like that in no. Star Wars. You know, usually they're sort of like. Mm. That's what I dug about. It. Oh, shit. There goes the neighborhood. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there goes the planet. Yeah. But it kind of indicates to me that it might be a different era for that. So, yeah, I don't know if you got that same vibe, but. 
I mean, the, the we'll get to it in a minute, but the final scene of the fourth episode where she's like, you'll be rewarded in the new era, kind of like the new era is Moff Gideon's attempts to uh, change things for for the better and kind of a bit more zealotry as opposed to spinelessness. You know, that's kind of the vibe I got. Absolutely. I want to just bring up something that's sort of super over obvious, but I, it's got to be said, it was just so fantastic to watch four Mandalorians full on taking that ship. Yeah, it was sick. The way they work together, the Predator's vision inside the masks, mm. you know, the hand-to-hand combat it was just fantastic. All the hand-to-hand combat scenes in this were great, especially the one at the very beginning of the first episode, which I meant to comment on and I didn't. But all of them were fantastic. It was great watching that, the gunplay, the teamwork. Um, it really showcased how well-trained and skilled and just totally badass the Mandalorians are. Awesome. Mm, no doubt. I'm very excited to see where it goes with uh, with old Starbuck. Yeah, there's, a, there's apparently a talk of a uh, another show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What show? Beyond Cooking. No, there's just that there, there, there. There's apparently talk about a show being centralized around that character. So, oh, okay, Bo-Katan or Starbuck? Yes, Bo-Katan, Starbuck, both same thing. Same no, person. what I'm asking is which canon, Ben? Like, oh, literally, no, Star Wars, Galactica yeah. or Star no, Wars? No, Star Wars. <laughs> the Galactica one is just her, her being an alcoholic in her bunk. That's that's the whole show. <laughs> She's just getting shit faced and playing cards. Which episode booze do episode. I want today? I think I'll choose whiskey again. <laughs> Let's do it. Show about uh, sampling various whiskeys and cigars. Yeah. Yeah, but it has to come Comes in an octagonal-shaped bottle. Because <laughs> it's the future. Do we have anything else on episode three, or can we move to four? Now the last one is, uh, yeah, we're on to the last one. Back to Dave Navarro. Yeah, Oy! back to Dave Navarro. I like it, Ben. Kick it off. I just did. I love when you do that. <laughs> Carl Weathers, everybody. Carl Weathers. Grief Karaga. I know. I, was, I kept th- saying that in my head because Werner Herzog was not on camera to say it. I was so bummed that Werner wasn't in this, but whatever. At least Weathers was back. Yeah, me too, man. Once again, in the in the making of show that you so despise that you didn't watch it, <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about Carl Weathers with Carl Weathers at the table. And I wouldn't say they pulled him out of retirement, but evidently the um, – Grief Karga character was meant to be Carl Weathers in a four-eyed prosthetic suit in an alien, and they like did some of the setups, and it wasn't working. And they're like, "Why don't we just get Carl Weathers to do it, you know, without a mask on?" And Carl was like, "Yeah, of course." Duh. It was it was only meant to be like two days of shooting, and he was meant to die in episode three, season one, and they chose to to bring him back. So it was kind of cool, kind of cool to hear that you little like, behind the scenes thing. That was a nice that's a nice little tidbit there. I I gotta say, if they had killed Carl Weathers in episode two, I'd have burned this entire place to the ground. And by that I mean my house, kind of like throwing something at my TV and destroying <laughs> right. it. Wow, that's that's that escalated quickly. Yeah, well, you know what, Ben? That's how I feel about Carl Weathers. Like I might have spent too much time thinking about Carl Weathers this go round, but here's the thing. He directed episode four. Okay. That was sick, yeah. And when I saw that, I was pumped. Great episode. The guy just, he looks fabulous, man. I cannot stress that enough. Like, he almost looks younger now than he did in Happy Gilmore, which came out like 15 years ago. Yeah. And I grew up with this guy, you know, um, 
Predator, obviously, Rocky films, Action Jackson, which we definitely need to do. And to see him come back, it's like similar to the sentiment Ben had with um, Star Trek Insurrection. Like these are space friends, you know, like uh, Mm. he's just – you know, it's like it's like seeing an old friend coming back, man. And when I saw him in the first episode of season one, I just I was it just gave me a really warm feeling. I just love the guy. I love him as an actor. Um, he just seems like a wonderful person too. He may not be, but he seems like a wonderful person. And he's just got a very magnetic and charismatic personality, man. And he's just fantastic in this. And I'm so glad that he's in it. And I was so happy to see him again in episode four doubly so that he directed the episode because it was a fantastic episode and he's just all over the place you know i mean carl's the same age as freaking arnold and sly and my god man he looks really good and he's like bouncing all over the place blasting stormtroopers and just just freaking fantastic man and i love that the way that the stories progress that him and Kara are kind of running the planet I guess the planet, or at least that town on Navarro, on Dave Navarro. Sorry, Dave Navarro. Yeah, definitely like a sheriff and the deputy kind of thing. No, it turns out the entire planet is Dave Navarro curled up in the fetal position, floating in space, <laughs> coming down off of a heroin kick or something. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, um, you know, I just really like that the way they tied that in. I love the addition of the gray goatee for Carl Weathers. If it had been mm. a mustache, he would have gotten even more points. And then Jarhigo and I could have finally started talking about our mustache segment of the show. But I just love that he's in it, man. I think he's a great addition to the cast, and I love that he's. You know, like a, a a character that's in the like the sort of the inner circle with Mando. You know, like even going so far as to say that, like you know, he was supposed to kill Mando, and then he flipped and was like, "I'm not going to do it." And then now, like they're they're trusted friends. You know, I really really like that a lot. Mm. So what you're saying is you like Carl Weathers? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you say? So. uh Carl Weathers fanboy. I thought I was at. I thought I was adding other elements to it there at the end, but uh, that was very funny. <laughs> yes, I like Carl Weathers. I too also like Carl Weathers. No, I was adding other elements in there to to try to give it. You know, to it wasn't just a Carl Weathers love. Fest. No, I like know. I'm just fucking with he's you. It's a super cool integral part of the Mando kind of like inner circle, and I really like that a lot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I definitely dug the uh, sheriff deputy thing with him and Cara Dune. So, yeah. Okay, look, I Chad, I admit it. Okay, I love Carl Weathers. Okay, <laughs> fair I love enough. Carl Weathers. Fair enough. All right. I love him like I love Sulu, man. Hmm. I think I could probably get you an autographed picture, Kev, to go with your Bruce Greenwood. You know what, dude? If you gave me a an autograph picture of Creep Cargo to go with my Bruce Greenwood, that'd be great. <laughs> that can be arranged. <laughs> The bromance continues. Um, one of our one of our uh, one of our friends, uh, our new our new friends of the show. That was uh, either a new listener or an existing listener that was digging down deep in the in the grams. Liked your Bruce Greenwood Instagram post from like six months ago today. So, ooh, I like that. Nice. It's still on people's minds. It's good. I'm glad. Glad it's still in the uh, in the air. It's part of the zeitgeist. It's can't can't it clearly cannot be gotten rid of. So yeah, I I, uh, <clears throat> I went that they came sort of full circle in this episode. How so? Agree. You meaning meaning going back to Dave Navarro? 
going back to Dave Navarro and, you know, just, you know, Grief Karga and Kara and, and, uh, and Horatio San's character, Mithril, like, you know, all, it's like the, the gang back together kind of a thing. It's, I, I like that. I, I like money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely dug that. I, I kind of got the vibe. Like it was pretty blatant that the mechanic was going to sell them out in the beginning. Cause it like the camera whips around to them, like looking over their shoulder which was kind of annoying, but it was a little over obvious. Yeah. I kind of got the vibe that both the mechanic and um, Mithral or whatever, were going to kind of go sour. So I was kind of glad that that didn't happen. I'm glad Mithral. Oh, the, you mean the blue dude Horatio. Yeah. Yeah. That's Horatio Sands, man. Who's Horatio Sands. Uh, Horatio Sands was a, uh, he was a player on SNL for uh, quite a while. Is if I'm remembering correctly, I I R C. Yeah. He's in the, he's in the uh, more cowbell sketch. Uh, yeah exactly there you go that era uh really funny guy and i really loved that they brought his character back for this episode i thought that was great and his like uh great interplay between him and grief cargo i mean grief cargo pants grief cargo grief cargo pants told me you'd be coming sorry that was more christopher lambert (laughs) you know that's the kind of dynamic and relationship writing that you want to see in a film Unlike the utter lack of dynamic that we saw from Next of Kin. (laughs) Indeed. We don't need to spend any more time on that one. We don't? No. Anyway, so loved seeing Horatio Sanz's character come back. And, uh, you know, the comedy in this, I find, is good without annoying me. So I'm I'm happy about that. The stupid movies are just so, like... Let's just try to be funny every three seconds. It's like, please, somebody shoot me in the face. Mm. And they're not. They're not yeah. funny. And they're not funny. Exactly. I did like the Weathers, Gina Carano pair up. And I did like the full circle stuff. Yeah. As a setup for when the thing kicks into gear. And once it kicks into gear, I really appreciated and enjoyed the Imperial base raid. That was really cool. It kind of felt like a video game level, but I still really enjoyed it. Like it was a cool, it was a cool raid. Yes, in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely had a video game level feel to it. Um, I like the reveal of the doctor and the lab and Gideon and all of that stuff was fantastic. Yeah, it's sort of the first, first uh, uh, reveal of like moving the like the big overarching story forward. I I, I kind of. Hit a bit of a wall with that. I was like, oh, no, not the fucking midichlorian bullshit again. Uh, I know. At least, they, at least he didn't say. It. He said, like, what? He said M levels or something like that. He didn't. You guys have a chance to drop some Arnie midichlorians, though, so. I don't I don't want to, like, I don't know. I, I don't want some stupid thing about midichlorians. Because if that happens when we talk about this next time, I'm not going to stop talking like Arnold the entire time. <laughs> exactly. I'm so exactly. upset. Jamie, you fool of midichlorians. Come on, go! You're my special boy. Remember, <laughs> you're my number one customer. <laughs> I'm really hoping that if this is midichlorians, I'm really hoping that this is like a six-season-long, $600 million Western show where Favs fixes the midichlorian problem. Well, you know what? I, I will say... Call this a nugget, call it not a nugget. I was, in my readings, uh, Giancarlo Esposito was saying that 
these first two seasons are basically the setup for all the information you're dying to know that's coming in the third and fourth, which I thought was pretty interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, hmm. What do you think, Ben? Hmm. Well, Piggy uh, and I were watching it last night, and we were both <laughs> thinking that uh... she. You know what is kind of interesting that we just totally missed the opportunity on is the two frog people. Oh, <laughs> no. God, <laughs> damn it! Oh, I mean, talk about egregious. Talk about a grief, just cargo pants. <laughs> what did you say, Ben? Say, your wife's a looker, but I settled down with a pig myself. <laughs> <laughs> Any chance you guys, you know, like to get around? <laughs> Very strong. Good stuff, man. Any chance you guys, you know, like to swap? Put your keys in the bowl at the front door on your way in? All right, so what else about this episode? Speeder chase and tie, TIE fighter chase was fun, especially with Mando swooping in. That was cool. Absolutely epic, man. And um, just really great action sequences. Fantastic. I loved um, – and there was just, you know, again, great cinematography throughout this entire show and great direction. Uh, I really loved the way all of the speeder bike troopers, the scout troopers, just drove right off that cliff and just started going for it right down the side of that mountain, man. And then like two of them just completely wiped out and blew up in fiery balls of snowmobile death. You know? Straight away. Yeah, that was cool. It set the stakes up straight away as to how crazy the shit they were doing was. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then, yeah, Mando swooping in at the end was just fantastic. I, I kind of like, this is very much like getting into the minutia for a minute, but like, I liked that they had the old, you know, get on the guns, Millennium Falcon style TIE fighter shoot him up, but it wasn't cargo pants blowing up all four of them. I like that it was just him. They get one and then they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> giving Mando a chance to swoop in, you know, you know. Yeah, but that's one thing that I've always liked about Star Wars is like, you know, they kind of get on those guns like B2 bomber style yeah, yeah. And, and they show how difficult it actually is. You know what I mean? It, by virtue of. You know, like the in almost every sequence like that in Star Wars movies, it's 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 never like oh boom 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 I got them all. You know, it's never like that. Definitely has like the belly gun B seventeen thing, which makes sense considering how Lucas really lifted from a lot of World War Two stuff. So absolutely, absolutely. Not a lot of people know this, but uh, yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but. Lucas Lucas based a lot of the stuff in the Star Wars movies on things from World War II. Ah, oh, thanks, Sly. The more you know. What else do we have on this episode? I mean, obviously, the wrap-up is we sort of touched on it at the beginning with the weird red alien had planted a tracking device on the, the Red Falcon, the Red Robin. Mm. <laughs> the Red Robin. Let's go get a burger. <laughs> and by that, I mean let's go get a crappy burger so we can throw up all over the place. That's it tracking device on the red robin and then yeah it goes to esposito and the like kind of star destroyer-esque but not quite ship and then the like i don't know for, like i kind of get the like they're trying to breed force troopers force sensitive troopers yeah which is interesting and they apparently already have i guess it's interesting yeah yeah i, I keep expecting Force sensitive troopers would be really weird uh eh, not feeling that we'll see how it plays out I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but 
I'm not giving anything. I'll give Favs the benefit of the doubt. I'll give that guy anything. I was going to say, I keep expecting to have Giancarlo Esposito uh, <clears throat> fatigue, but it's not happening. I love that dude. It's still not happening. It's not, man. He's in everything. He's literally in everything. He really is. But he's excellent in everything. So Is he in The Expanse? He, he's in something else we just talked about, too, Boys. aside from Mando. Boys, right, exactly. And The Expanse? No? Did he make an appearance in that yet? Wouldn't surprise me. He's he's probably going to now that you mentioned it. Yep. <laughs> It's the it's the Giancarlo effect. Yeah, he's great. I want to just touch on Favreau for a second. Yeah, man. Um, and just echo, kind of repeat something that we were talking about on the phone either last week or in the middle of the week, is that John Favreau is um, such a great talent, man. He, I, you know, we all kind of agreed that he rebooted, started the Marvel mayhem that we have now, and. He is likely to save Star Wars, man, because mm. this show is absolutely excellent. I didn't know two other kind of nuggets is that he did the live action Lion King and he mm. also did the Jungle Book, which I just never would have expected from him. But I've been a fan of John since he played D-Bob in Rudy and I've seen him in everything, man, that he's done on the Swingers all that stuff. He's just so great. I always thought he was a fantastic actor and very, very funny. And, you know, like similar to Ben Affleck, I love that he's just turned out to be this incredibly talented and um, competent director as well. Yeah, he's great. And, and now really just executive producer. He's kind of running this entire Star Wars television thing, which is great. So, you know, we love Favs, man. Props to Favs. Thank you for restoring my faith in this franchise, man, because my current situation, I think everybody that listens to this show knows about the vitriol we have for Star Wars. My my current Star Wars reality is Rogue One, the original trilogy, and now this after that. And that's where it ends for me. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the maybe the prequel trilogy, because that suddenly got a lot better when the the stupid new sequel came out. <clears throat> it was so horrible. That plus the Clone Wars animated, um, which I just started watching. But at any rate, he's restoring my faith in in what can be done with this IP, and that's a good thing. We've said it before, but yep, I agree. Yeah, definitely. We mentioned the way that we we phrased it previously was uh, Favs launched a thousand ships for Marvel, and hopefully he can launch launch a thousand ships for the Star Wars universe. So fingers crossed. There you go. Is that what we said? Absolutely. That's what we said, yeah. Absolutely. Nuggets? Nuggets, deaths, ratings. I have one nugget. Uh, let me chime in with a meta nugget. Go. I have a meta nugget, which is nuggets were born in our part one of The Mandalorian season one. Ooh. Are you serious? Yeah, I was listening to it again today, and it was like, I've got two nuggets, and then the uh, second second episode was the same. Like, I called them tidbits for a while, and then and then I said nuggets, so I... I I think that they were born in Mando season one. You want to know something else that's sort of more meta is that I started my other podcast before this one, long before this one, and nuggets were an integral part of that show. We had a nugget every single show. And when you started doing that, I just didn't say anything because I was like, I want to see what happens here. And I loved that it kind of happened organically. And now it's arguably way huger of a part of this show than my original show. And there you so, go. I don't know. 
that that's what, I always thought that was cool, and I I was like, I'll I'll bring it up when the time is right. I didn't want to say anything when you started it, but uh, I thought it was interesting. I was like, wow, I can't believe you just said nugget because that's like the same exact thing that we had come up with on the other podcast. So double meta, interesting, and I love it. It's it's grown into this. It's double meta, it's six ways of meta, you know, it's like inception level meta, and it's also, um, it's become such a huge and funny part of this show, like, I love <laughs> the whole thing that it's turned into, it's ridiculous. I, I still have the opinion that it's Chad's section. <laughs> I like that. I love it, <laughs> that's what I'm saying though, like, you still say that, Chad and I constantly battle with sniping and like, just... <laughs> I get so pissed all the time. It's just great. Whatever. So what's your nugget, Kev? I only have a small nugget, and it's – I, yeah, I didn't really do. realize, like, the depth of uh, – what was that? I said, yeah, you do. Yeah, you think you're funny? Okay. I, yes, I do. You know, Dave Filoni, I guess, in Favreau met quite a while ago, and he was working on Lion King and the Jungle Book and all that stuff. And, and that's when he pitched Filoni this idea for this series. And um, the nugget is – is what they when they met, I guess I think it was at Skywalker Ranch, um, Filoni had Favreau do the voice of one of the Mandalorians from the Clone Wars. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. Sweet. I like the idea of picturing John Favreau in Mandalorian armor. I would like to see that. That's an interesting image. I would like to see Favreau do some sort of cameo character, like he not not to the level of like Happy Hogan and Marvel, but mm-hmm. you know, something would be something. Cool. Something small. something. Hey, as long as he's making it, I'm not going to complain. That's it. Great, dude. I've got uh, a few more nuggets. So evidently one of the Tusken Raiders was played by a deaf actor named Troy Kotsur. I'm probably butchering that, but uh, let's just say, well, we'll say it's Troy McClure. And he helped create the... S- I'm sure you are. Yeah. And he, he helped create the Sand People Sign Language, which I thought was kind of cool. What? Yeah, so he like... Wanted to make the sign language plausible and hmm. not recognizable with, like, the various dialects of existing sign language. So I just thought that was kind of cool. That is really cool. Um, I mean, that is, like, that is beyond cool, man. Because I really loved the combination of sounds and gestures being the Tuscan Raider language. Mm, yeah, definitely. They were definitely more fleshed out in, in the last two, two seasons of this. So very much to Benny's point earlier there. The placeholder nothing burger characters they were, while mysterious and interesting in the original trilogy, like I love that they're being a bit more fleshed out in this. So the sign language is another example of that. Hmm. Wow. Um, what else you got? What else you got in your bag there, algorithm? This one may or may not be interesting, but the... That's a great way to start a nugget, by the way. <laughs> well, it, it might just be a little too navel-gazy, nerd-tastic, but there's like a R5 droid that is in Amy Sidaris's, um garage. With the map of Tatooine, yeah. And I don't know if it's confirmed, but it seems to be the same one that Luke and Owen didn't buy it from the Jawas in Episode Four, and instead bought R2. They were going to buy a different droid, and then he breaks down, and they're like, what are you trying to pull here? And they buy the R2 instead. It's, like, visually identical, so that it might be the same one. Mm. It might be. That is definitely this is on the same level as the British Street Sweeper nugget thing. Yeah, so that's like, why I said it might not be very good. Um, that's the same R5 that Owen and Luke didn't want to buy in the original Star Wars. I'm going to go play City of Devs. <laughs> 
I'm surprised. I'm surprised that halfway through that nugget, you didn't start creating a character in City of Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> My final nugget. Come on, Kev. You, you know you want to make grief cargo pants. Yeah, I did. I am. His his name is the Corn Cob Delorean. There you go. <laughs> the Corn Delorean. And like Gambit, he throws corn. He throws chewed up corn cobs like playing cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're like infused with mutant energy. Yeah, exactly. So, how did you get Gambit from that, dude? I just pictured like a Mandalorian with like corn accents throwing corn cobs, and then I was just remembering Gambit throwing cards, and I just kind of pictured, you know, half chewed corn cobs. Like he eats the corn cobs to power up, and then just like throws the empty cobs at people. Like. I'm into it. And then he's like, oh, Sherry, take a piece of this corn. <laughs> Is the rocket that's in his, like, Mandalorian jetpack jet actually just a giant corn cob? Uh, yeah, <laughs> see, I was kind of thinking it might be one of those, like, mayonnaise dispensers that they make street corn with. Like, he, like, takes it off and then, like, little legs pop out of it and it turns into a grill and he just grills up street corn on it. <laughs> He's got like a yeah, he's got like a sleeve mounted power glove mayonnaise dispenser and fucking spice shakers on the other one. I'm into it. I kind of want some street corn now. All right, all right. So my last nugget is I didn't realize that the Mandalorian is actually three people. So there's Pedro Pascal and a gentleman who is a martial artist and John Wayne's grandson. Really? So Brendan Wayne is the gun-toting Mandalorian and is one of the stunt Mandalorians, and he is John Wayne's grandson. I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, that, that happens a lot in movies, you know, so it's not it's a Western. super surprising. It's a space Western with a space John Wayne. I think that's cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, Fuck I, you very much. No, man. I got I to gotta say, like, no, I like your nugget. It's pretty cool. Um <laughs> this, this is the mini sode about your nugget clearly <laughs> i like nuggets <laughs> i think uh I, you, you could appreciate what i'm gonna say is that as an actor like i, I cannot believe i i would want to do the martial arts parts and i would yeah. want to do the gun parts like I, I cannot imagine doing a part like that and being like no get somebody else to do the guns get somebody else to do this like i'm not sure why they that's do like it, the but... best part okay all right well that's it my last my last nugget was a uh my jetpacks out of fuel fucking fart sound deaths Ooh. maybe my last nugget was one of my deaths no that wasn't a death that was a good nugget dude I'm very sensitive. Deaths are as follows. Uh, my intro was a Star Wars death. Mm-hmm. The whole show is a Star Wars death. Mm-hmm. The three of us died as a result of that. Technicalities. Exactly. Uh, ben, you died on a Stallone thing. I can't remember which one. Should have been more detailed in my death note taking. I'm sorry. That's a death. Uh, I died on that horrible turducken joke that I thought was great. And you guys were just like, yeah, what, are, what else are we talking about? <laughs> And then uh, Chad uh, died on buying my fake Akbar nugget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was was pretty bad. That was good, man. And then um, I died on Corn DeLorean, and then Ben died attaching, uh, glomming onto my Corn DeLorean nugget with uh, the Corn Cob DeLorean <laughs> tie-in. <laughs> Dad jokes all the way down. And as a as another meg uh, meta nugget death 
I, I need to reveal now, because it's a good time to reveal it, that I dropped a fake nugget in another show, and I wanted to see if you guys would pick up on it. And you didn't. Really? And I did, yep. And I didn't say anything at the time. Uh, I figured I'd just save that one for another time. And that time is now. And it's because you bought my fake Akbar nugget. Okay, so you died because I dropped the fake nugget and you believed it. The other fake nugget that you guys both bought, hook, line, and sinker, that was great was that the guy in the bathroom in True Lies was James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. So. No. Kev, you, you can't go around undermining our trust in the legitimacy of the nugget process here, man. We trusted you. That's fucked up. I'm banished now. You, you owe us an apology, and you owe the audience an apology. Absolutely. Guys, I'm sorry. And fans, I'm sorry. So what possessed you to bullshit a nugget? I That, that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all happened very organically and in good fun. So okay. before you crucify me on the side of my house that I'm going to burn down later, just just hang out and just bear with me. <clears throat> I'm going to be looking out for any time you mention that somebody is somebody's dad. Mm. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm Pedro Pascal's dad. I, I believe that. But your dad was That's true. He is. That gets beeped out, which I'm looking forward to. Anyway, so it happened very organically. Like we were – I was watching – the movie and doing one of my like everybody Kev's turbo nerd things where I was like, that guy has got to be James Cameron's dad. Like he looks like James Cameron, like his facial <laughs> structure looks similar. Okay. And I was like, this guy's got to be Cameron's dad. I wrote it down as a note. And then I went and I looked it up and the guy's last name was not Cameron. Now it's possible that James Cameron took Cameron as a stage name and that dude's last name is his last name and it is really his dad. Or but. maybe that dude changed his name like Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, Culkin. Exactly. Needless to say, I wanted it to be his dad so bad. So when we got to that part of the show, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop this and see if they get it or not. And then you guys were so into it. I just was <laughs> I just let it go <laughs> and let it ride. I, I, I remember Chad was like, yeah, that's something I would do to my dad. <laughs> Yeah, I would. <laughs> I totally would. <laughs> my, that's how I do. That's how I do my dad. I, I put him on the crapper in one of my movies in his twilight, the twilight of his life. <laughs> I totally would, man. I think that'd be fucking hilarious. Like, Dad, I got a hundred million dollars to make a movie. I want to put you in the shitter during an action sequence. He'd be like, "Yeah, I'll fucking care. That sounds fine to me." I know. So anyway, that was that was my sort of mega nut, meta nugget for this super death nugget. <laughs> Super death nugget. It's 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 like uh, the plot thickens. The plot does thicken, man. There's things going on behind the scenes. Clearly, anyway, those are the deaths. Let's move on to ratings and get out of here because this is definitely going to be a three hour show. A three hour show. This is a a, a three hour show. This show remains a solid A for me. Uh, the midichlorian thing at the end was like ah oh, god, but. I'm willing to I'm willing to give John Favs a break and Dave Filoni has my respect so I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Mm. I'm gonna um, echo that for the most part. I'm gonna give him total breaks on the two minor gripes that I had and give this an A plus because this is just nice, awesome, and I cannot wait for the next four episodes. So that's that's mine, Benny. Yeah, I believe it was Stallone or. Perhaps Fonzie that once said, Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
<laughs> oh god yeah, totally it's a late breaking dad death <laughs> fucking jesus i love it that's good stuff right there man that was that was probably the best part of this show you could you could call that a improbability where like fonzie just teleports in and says that and then just you know explodes or something hey man why not if if, if stallone can be your dad then that's true then that's that's possible so so is that if if i end up making a james cameron movie i'll have stallone on a shitter somewhere i'm totally into that you know a lot of people don't notice but that was me on the shitter in that movie <laughs> <laughs> well that's us kids yeah that's it kids algorithm what are we doing next week man we're doing a, a classic next week we're throwing back to real genius which i'm pretty stoked about yes that's right. And we're going to have a guest on the show for the first time as well. Oh, yeah. We're going to shake it up a little. Yeah. We're going to have our first guest, um, fellow podcaster and friend of the show. We should uh, briefly say Endymion's going to be coming out on the 10th of December. Okay. Endymion is going to be coming out on the 10th of December, so look for that. And also, we are going to move the release of the show I'm going to say this anyway, even though it may happen before that. We're going to move the release of the show from Thursday mornings to Friday mornings as it gives us an extra day to tighten the show up and make it that much better. So um, apologies to anybody that loves Thursday morning so much they can't handle Friday morning, but it's uh, always a bit of a siege for Chad and I to get this thing edited and get it out and get the quality in there. So we're going to take an extra day to do that. So hang in there. Hang in there, little buddies. We love you all. Goodbyes. I just want to say thanks to everybody for joining us on this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. It's going to be great. And we'll see you another time. I have spoken. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. You can find the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 82. If you'd like to support the show, folks, there's so many great ways you can do it. You can rate us and more importantly, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Muffins, Podcast Republic Muffins, Overwatch Muffins, Overcast Muffins, Fortnite Muffins, wherever you get your podcasts. And leaving a review is very powerful and it also helps people to take a listen to our show and we really appreciate it you can also tell a friend to check out the show while you're trapped in your car driving around in these weird times that we're living in what better to do than tell your friend to check out our show thanks for joining us on this week's episode folks stay tuned for real genius the val kilmer classic coming up next week and thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on another time Be fooled by other cl- other chowders claiming to be from Admiral Akbar's son. Get the original Admiral Akbar's New England style clam chowder. Something like that. I, I like that. I like that you kind of almost turned into Brimley there. <laughs> it was like it was like Brimley as Akbar. I did. I was kind. It was a bit of um, Brimley and something else was getting mashed together in my mind by accident. Everyone knows chowder should not have tomato sauce in it. <laughs>